Hold on to your butts. <laughs> oh, hello. Ho, ho, ho. Welcome to episode 97 of the Civil War Breakfast Club podcast. Joined by Mary, the angry little elf, hoping to get a visit from Ho Ho Howard this Christmas. I am <laughs> oh, merely a flickering set of Christmas lights that will not stay on, named Darren. Hey, Mary, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Oh, my God. Good. Ho Ho Howard. So that ho, needs ho, to be Howard. a meme now. Oh, God, yeah. Ho 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 Howard. Anyway, so yeah, what's going on? How are, how are things? It's Christmas season. Things are um, Things are joyous and bright, I assume, in your little world. I'm assuming they are. I guess. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? Why not? So yeah, so um, yeah, Christmas is here. The year is almost to the end. As we yep. call it Stones River season. That's what we yep. call it. Coming up at the end of the year. Coming up to the one sixtieth of Stones River. A lot of good stuff coming on to talk about. And then we're gonna flip the calendar. We're gonna start all over again in January 2023. But before we do, we gotta finish 2022. But since I'm a gracious host and since um you never seem to ask me, I will ask you, what, what are you drinking on this fine? cold as hell evening it is cold and i found the perfect historical beer for this evening at the Lickbow here in ontario canada because i'm back here for christmas um i found laura secord's long trek which is a chocolate imperial stout and laura secord she was a spy for the british in the war of 1812 but she does have a connection to the civil war and that is her nephew was a surgeon in the confederate army um, and he would have been with uh, Longstreet at Gettysburg, which is where he was also captured. So that's why I, I, I mean, would this our be episode one tonight Solomon is about, about General Lee, Larry? but yes, that was, would be Solomon Secord. Oh, Pincardine, Canada? Yep. Wow, look at you. Well, you certainly yep. found the right, the right can of that. What are you drinking out of today, I assume? Um, I'm drinking it out of, of my, um, ironically, uh, my John Reynolds mug. So. Oh, okay. Yep. So I got a beer for a Confederate general, but I'm drinking it out of the general. Or not, he wasn't Confederate general, but he was on the Confederate side as a surgeon, Solomon Secord, and I'm drinking it out of my John Reynolds mug. All right. And what are you okay. drinking before oh you call God. me rude? Thank you so much for asking. I was going to wait until you asked me, and yeah, I didn't think you were going to. I'm drinking, it's called Knuckle Puck IPA. It's a beer out of New Hampshire from 603 Brewery, just by happenstance. 603 happens to be the area code in New Hampshire. And I'm drinking it out of my Zoe Deschanel mug because she's an elf, the greatest Christmas movie of all time. It is. And that's the best I can do. Yep. So we got some business to take care of tonight. This is our last episode of the calendar year as we, as we finish this up. And, um, and, you know, in the Civil War, Mary, you know, there's arguably no more famous uh, person associated with the American Civil War than one Robert E. Lee. He's been the subject of thousands of books, and he's beloved in the South today, and the North for that matter as well. Yep. Whether true or embellished, you know, Lee's stories are still told by many, both in the North and the South, and they consider him one of the, if not the, greatest generals in American history, although some will only consider him a colonel, but I digress. <laughs> and, you know, through, through a lot of his famous stories, you know, that occurred, you know, before the surrender of Appomattox on April 9th of 1865. One aspect of his life that does not get touched on a lot is Lee's post years, and which is really too bad because the, the, his story doesn't end at Appomattox and, and, or at the Civil War. He's going to spend the last five years of his life really doing what, what he could ironically to bring the country back together after four years of, of trying to rip it apart. He's going to spend the last years of his life trying to reconcile and trying to, you know, that flaming animosity that that didn't end at, at when Appomattox did. And really overnight, 
you know, Lee's role was going to change from that of general to that of peacemaker. And, and, yeah. and he never strayed off that path to do his part to bring the country back together again, right till his dying day. Yep. He, and yeah, it's like he only lives five years after the Civil War, so he doesn't have much time. And, you know, if you've read his letters, like his, his son put together um, a book of, of his letters, and it's a really good read. And, you know, looking through it to research for this episode, the one thing that I came away with, well, okay, he only had five years. What if he had had something, you know, something longer than that, like, you know, what James Longstreet had or what Mosby had any of these guys had after the Civil War to try and help with reconciliation and reconstruction? Because you read his letters, you know, the one thing about Lee that I was, that I took away is he, and he says this many times, I don't get involved in politics. And he didn't get involved in politics post-Civil War um, for that reason, because he, as much as he fought against the Union and the Federals, uh, once he came back in, you know, after Appomattox, he just wanted to bring it back together. That's that's kind of the the what I I took away from reading his letters and what I did for for this episode. Yeah, I mean, you know, the war is going to come to an end, and the country just didn't like at the end of a hockey game shake hands and say good game and yeah. move on. The country was in shambles. I mean, the shooting may have stopped, uh, but you have Lincoln's assassination, the emancipation of the slaves. That the economy in the South was destroyed. The country's reputation overseas was completely broken. Everything was in turmoil. And, and Lee knew this, and he knew that his reputation of, of being this great general, this beloved Southern character, you know, could be instrumental in trying to bring the nation back together. And I don't think a lot of people spent a lot of time thinking about this. You know, he clearly had a responsibility to do what he could, you know, to fix something that the previous four years, like I said, he was trying to break up. And, you know, those schisms that, that they lingered realistically still linger today, if we're being totally honest. Yeah. And, and, you know, despite the loss, you know, Lee remained a hero in the South, but his personality was such that he hated the idea of being a star. He was modest. His cult of personality was like none other though. Now, Ulysses S. Grant, okay. The man who defeated him, um, would say in his memoirs of Robert E. Lee, there was not a man in the Confederacy whose influence with his soldiers and the whole people was as great as his. So they knew that this 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 personality, this 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 Elvis like you know rock yeah. star was was still there. You know, you know his his surrender at Appomattox was in, in his decision not to fight that guerrilla war it, it saved thousands of lives, and he and. Lee never forgot the generous terms that he got from his surrender from Grant, which is likely that is probably the initial step in reconciliation between the North and the South yeah. was what Grant did for him. Now, three days after the surrender, just to go back real quick, Lee is going to begin that long trek back to Richmond on his, on his good old horse traveler, which mm -hmm. must have made him feel like the loneliest person in the world. He I can't fighting. even imagine what that would have been like. His trip was the ultimate Civil War general walk of shame. It really, really, <laughs> it really, really was, right? And on April 15th, that same day President Lincoln's going to die, Lee is going to arrive in Richmond. Now, this is a different Richmond than he remembers. This is the first time he's seen the city in, in a while. And the city is destroyed. It's burnt by those rebels who, who left when they were retreating. Ironically, Lee, 
his wagon carrying his personal belongings was a United States wagon. It was stamped U.S. Mm-hmm. Army on the side. And he, he um, as he rode through town, you know, many of the Union troops and people, Union still obviously still there, you know, they're going to salute him as he, as he rode by. Mm-hmm. Um, he had that much impact. Now, he's going to pull into his home. It's on 707 East Franklin Street, and a crowd is going to gather and welcome him home to salute the hero. You can, only, you can only imagine how this whole thing must have looked. And he talks about a story that a little girl is going to approach him. And you can just imagine Lee's face. You see the pictures we're going to talk about in a few minutes. You know yeah. how his face was like. A little girl's going to approach him, and she's going to say to him, you know, to, you know why, why are you so sad? And Lee's going to respond to her. He says, my cause is dead. I am homeless, and I have nothing left on earth. So this is the psychology, the mindset of Lee now, right? And it's probably around this time he's going to find out that Lincoln's dead, which he publicly condemned is the assassination. Yeah. He, he, he was publicly, privately, he made no bones about it. He, he knew that this could lead to repercussions on the South and the mm-hmm. South had been punished enough. And, and that's kind of how the mindset is when he rolls back into Richmond. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's very much this, you know, he, he goes back to Richmond, which is a fallen city and he realizes he is kind of this fallen general. And he does say like, he's got no desire to leave Virginia to live elsewhere. He says, I cannot desert my nature, my, my home state in the hour of her adversity. I must abide by her fortune and share her fate. So he's this, he's this defeated person but at the same time he's also i think wanting the reconciliation because of the terms that grant gave him at appomattox as well oh, there's no doubt in those first handful of hours must have been tough you know he's he's back on franklin street now ironically one of the few houses that wasn't burned in his neighborhood from the burning yeah. it, his house was fine lee basically is going to sit around the house and he's going to pout and that's what's mm-hmm. going to happen he's going to be with his wife mary and his four children. Now, Lee's house on Franklin Street, you know, is still there, by the way. You can still go visit it. Um, and it actually, so I was looking online, it actually sold in 2018 for only $850,000. That's wow. all it sold for, which kind of seems low to me. And, yeah. and I believe it, it houses or it did house the um, the Home Builders Association of Virginia. So it's still there. Um, but yeah, anyway, so so Lee Lee's is, was dejected. Um but it, but he was at peace with the fact the war was lost. He 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 yeah. knew he just he he knew they'd lost, but his wife Mary was still pissed about this, and she yes. talks about it. She talks so when um when Lee got home, I you know when when she got home, she says to she says to him, "I wish you could have witnessed Lincoln's triumphant entry into Richmond. He was surrounded by a crowd of blacks whooping and cheering like so many demons." And she was bitter. I mean, she was, she was going through oh, a lot, of, you know. She was a very, like, I don't know, like, from what I know about her, she's, <laughs> she is very Southern. Well, I mean, like, I feel bad. The guy comes back from a long four, four years, or not quite four, a long years of work, and he's got to get yeah. nagged by his wife. Probably, it must be a Mary thing. But when the war is over, Bucker. you know, Lee's going to do this soul searching, and like so many people, he doesn't want to retire and go play golf, right? No. He needs something to do. You know, his home in Arlington was now a cemetery. And then yep. the family was, 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 they tried to buy it back. There was back taxes so that the government claimed it. They tried to pay the back taxes to get it back. And they said, nope. 
Um, perhaps he considered working at the Richmond DQ, Mary. We don't know. Right? I would have hired him. Of course you would have. You he know? probably would have been good at operating the blizzard machines. Or, I mean, he's so, he's, I mean, drive through as well. Uh, he probably would have been. He probably would have been, you know. And then when they get the wrong order, you know what he would have said? It's all my fault. I'm sorry, sir. That's what he already was up. <laughs> but while this is all going on, Grant is reaching out to Lee and he wants him to help use his influence to help reconcile the country. Yeah. Because he knew this was not going to be an easy gig. So the day after he gets back, uh, April 16th, okay, um, he's going to get a knock on his door from his, the famous Civil War photographer, Matthew, with one T, yep. Brady. Brady, yeah. And he's going to ask the general if he minds taking some pictures in his uniform. Figured it's probably a pretty historical thing. As you can imagine, you know, he Lee's knows so much, but Brady knew it'd be history. Brady says about all the pictures. It was supposed that after his defeat, it would be preposterous to ask him to sit, but I thought it would be time for the historical pictures. So Brady knew this was going to be an opportunity. So Lee told him to go pound sand. He wasn't going to deal with that. <laughs> but you know what he what Brady does? He goes to Mary. And says, yeah. you know, not for nothing. And Mary's like, you know, go get dressed, Bobby. Sorry, you always sex. go to the wife. You always go to the wife. And that's girlfriend. what happened. So Lee's going to reluctantly is going to do this. So it's going to be Easter Sunday, April 16th. And Lee is going to pose for those six famous pictures that are taken outside of his back door on Franklin Street. It's going to be with himself. It's going to be with his, his son, General Custis Lee, as well as uh, Colonel Walter Taylor. Hmm. Um, fresh from making pancakes in small mountains, I assume. Yeah. It, was, it was Easter morning, right? But the thing about interesting is Lee did not wear his Appomattox uniform, and people no. were surprised by that. The uniform he wore, if you look at the pictures, was a gray coat, but it did not have those braids on the sleeves. He did not wear a sash. He did not wear his sword, nor did he wear his boots. Mm -hmm. And it seems like what he was trying to do was send the message that he was kind of transitioning from the General Lee to the Citizen Lee, right? Yep. And there was rules about wearing Confederate uniforms. There was things that probably played a big part in it too, that, that you know that you weren't allowed to do it. But if you look at the pictures, it's clear that Lee was a broken man. And, and he, he enjoyed these pictures probably as much as you enjoy being told to mix in a water every so often. He's just wanted no part of it. Okay. Years later, Lee's younger son, Robert, is going to say about these pictures, he's going to say, I believe there were none of the little things in life so <laughs> irksome to him as having his picture taken in such a way. I, yeah, I've read that about him in, in, in the letters um, that I read from the, the book that his son compiled. Like, I kind of got that impression about him that he just was not a fan of having his picture taken. And I mean, I, I can see why he's, you know, he led this confederate army and he was the one that had to surrender it um and he also wanted to stay stay away from politics which which tells me he wanted to stay away from the spotlight and i think he just was kind of like i just want to reconcile and get things back to normal kind of thing can you, you imagine know? the burden he had you know he, you coming oh, yeah. off of this this yep. tremendous emotional yep. this this loss of, you know, you, you, you're visioning the a, a book I read that um, with a, for a lot of this was a book called The Man Who Would Not Be Washington by Jonathan Horn. And what the and the what the book really talks about was was what he could have been if they'd won. So he has to deal with the fact they lost this cause that he wasn't going to they weren't going to be an independent country. He has personal guilt because he assumed guilt. But now he's 
the poster boy of trying to reconcile it because nobody else yeah. would. So to, and to make things worse for Lee, it's the constant knocks on the doors on Franklin Street from yeah. all these endless guests. George Meade, we talked about, yeah. um, the hero of Gettysburg there, was a guest who frequently dropped by. And these visitors are probably the last thing that Lee wanted to see. I mean, you know how it is. You mm-hmm. just don't want to deal with anybody. And there's a lot of great stories of people visiting to Lee. And one of my favorite ones was a story that happened when this, this private from Texas showed up. And, and, and this story has been bounced around a little bit. People have probably heard it before. But he's in his sling. He's banged up. He's wearing his old, dirty uniform. And he wants to come see Robert E. Lee. He mm-hmm. wants to see the general. The general had no idea who the hell he was. He was a private. Um, and so he knocks on the door and he asks to see General Lee. And Custis is going to be there. And he's going to basically tell him, no, he's, he's, he's busy. He doesn't want to see anybody. Yeah. Well, finally, the guy's like, listen, I, you know, I fought with him for years. You know, the war is over. I just want to see him one last time. So Custis is like, oh, God, fine. You know what? Fine. Come on in. So he's going to go and tell Robert E. Lee, you know, you got a guest. Come see him. You know, so Lee comes bombing down the stairs slowly. And as soon as, as, as soon as Lee comes in and walks in the room, the Texas guy just stares at him. And yeah. they shake hands. The Texas guy goes to say something and he can't. He's speechless. He all of a sudden just bursts into tears and walks out the, walks out of the house and doesn't say a word to Lee. And then and so Lee's gonna go back upstairs. He he, you know, he probably had all these things in his head that he wanted to say to him, mm-hmm. and he just couldn't bear himself to do it. And this was the emotion that was going on at this point, right? And it and the emotions were such by the South that those who are not in a state of shock. Uh, or seething with anger. This is kind of what was going on. Now, a month later, on May 29th, 1865, Andrew Johnson, mayor, the new president of the United States, mm-hmm. he's going to issue a general amnesty to all those Confederates who signed the Oath of Allegiance, or they call it swallowing the dog, right? Yeah. Is what they called it. Now, up to this point, Lee felt that all the promises made to him by U.S. grants at Appomattox at, that, at the parole there protected him. But he found yep. out that he had some legal troubles coming anyway that he didn't anticipate. Yep. Now, this general amnesty that that, that Andrew Johnson put in place uh, did not did not apply to Confederate politicians, nor did it protect anyone with total assets ex- uh, exceeding twenty to twenty five thousand at the time, which is about three hundred seventy five grand in today's money. So Lee fell in the latter group. So he felt yep. now that he was not protected so what happens june 7th 1865 lee's gonna find out that he's been indicted for treason by the united states government now lee as you can imagine didn't like to get that letter no he's gonna really immediately write a letter of his own directly to grant and he's gonna say requesting a pardon saying um this is the deal he included his formal application for u.s citizenship as well with that um, and also reminding Grant of the terms of the surrender they agreed to on April yeah. 9th. Now, here's the problem, Mary. There's a problem. The, pr- the problem with the application is that, it, um, that he sent in did not include that signed oath of allegiance, primarily because Lee didn't know at the yeah. time it was required. So he just sent the application in. Nonetheless, what, what's Grant going to do? He's going to kind of make the indictment go away. And, and he, that, that's what's going to happen. So he, that's, that's successful. 
but it didn't dismiss the charges. And Johnson would not issue the pardon. So Lee had this feeling that he was always could be indicted at any time. So he was carrying this, this fear that this could happen. So uh, to add to all of his woes, now he has the potential that he still could be tried for treason. Yeah. Um, and that he's all now he's carrying this on him now. Right. Yeah. And that's got to be a huge thing to carry with you. You know, it's like, well, what, what is going to happen to me? Like what, like, yeah, I, I can't imagine what that would have been like for him to carry that. And I know he, you know, he, you know, he's writing to Grant, writing to Johnson as well. It's like, can you get me out of this? <laughs> well, let, let me, let me ask you this question. You're the hero of the South. Yeah. Everyone's looking at you. All right. And what do you think asking for a pardon is going to do? Now, the pardon, for the most part, you're it's going to go with. either way. Well, but right. But what do you think if if you are if you are the hero of the South and you're going to take and you're going to ask for a pardon? That's going to be a very controversial thing in the South. OK, yep. and that's going to piss some people off. Well, that's also now, going to open the floodgates to. You know, if if Lee gets a pardon, then does that mean John Brown Gordon? Well, Gordon wasn't part of West Point, but you know, does do all of them get a pardon? You know, does Hardy, does well, Longstreet, right. all of them? But what get it a pardon? does too is it ironically a lot of the people who were refusing to sign the oath of allegiance because they're like, how you know, I've, I've already been pardoned. And we're talking about yeah. the soldiers now. Mm -hmm. What this is going to do, it's going to turn into a, well, if Lee can do it, I can do a thing. Yeah. So it actually worked in reverse a little bit. And, you know, whenever, whenever Lee was questioned, someone said, should I sign this oath of allegiance? Lee always told them they absolutely should. Mm -hmm. And what, what he, what he didn't want was the people in Virginia to leave. He wanted them to stay in the state. And he always yeah. had the same quote. He always said, Virginia needs her young sons now more than ever. And that was a phrase he used quite often because yeah. he said, you know, just sign the damn thing, move on from it. And again, it was Lee's overall goal to help reconcile. And this was one way he hoped that he could make a difference. Now, yeah. Lee's advice was gold to these people and having the, having his support is going to add legitimacy to pretty much anything. If Lee told you to jump off a bridge, they're going to jump off a bridge a lot of these people. Oh, so absolutely. And if they're going to like, you know, if he's telling you, you need to stay with Virginia, you know, you need to support your state. Cause that was, that was where he, he was with that. Like he, there's quite a few quotes from him where he says he's like you you have to support i have to support my home state you have to support your home state right. and he said that of the men that went home after the war we have to work hard to support the home the home states because we're gonna he rec he recognized that all the states in the south that had seceded were going to have a tough time with getting you know they're they're back in the union but they're going to have a really tough time. And he recognized that, you know, those states were going to need that 100% support from the men when they went back. Yeah. And Lee's word was, was gold. Like we said, his reputation was, was mm -hmm. very high. He added that, like I said, that legitimacy to pretty much anything he did. Now, that concept um, was not missed by anyone, especially a small struggling college in Lexington, Virginia, yes. who thought that Robert mm -hmm. E. Lee could be the guy 
by name alone, who could help save that floundering school. This, of yep. course, was Washington College. Mm -hmm. Real quick, this school is Washington College was established in 1749. It was called the Augusta University yep. and later changed her name to Washington College in 1813 after the guy in the dollar bill, Mary. I don't, I don't know if you know who that guy is, but he's, he's Washington. He's a famous guy down this, this I'm side. I'm aware of him. Okay. Yes. And it was also one of the few schools, by the way, that stayed open during the Civil War. It was heavily damaged. It was used by by barracks for Union yep. soldiers who left it in shambles. They probably trashed the basketball court, trashed the pool. And you can only imagine what they would have probably done to it if you think about it. But in 1865, this school, Washington College, had just 50 students and four professors. Yep. They were they were in desperate need of a new president. And they thought, well, geez, Robert E. Lee, he ain't exactly doing anything. Maybe he'd be interested. And so by happenstance, Lee at that same time was sort of thinking about his future and wondering what the hell he was going to do to earn a living. Yeah. And so, I mean, they weren't the school. They weren't stupid. They knew having Lee on board would add instant credibility to that school. And that school was struggling financially, to say the least. Lee, before the war, Maria, as you may or may not know, was the superintendent at a school called West Point. I was aware of that. Black Knights. They beat Navy this year, Mary. You see that? They did. So it was a good game, too. I like that. So. What happens is on August 4th, 1865, the Washington College's Board of Trustees unanimously elected Lee as president. Mm -hmm. Now, this, of course, is without his knowledge or without him even applying for the job. Yeah. He just they just gave it to him. And there was that fear that Lee wouldn't be interested because, you know, maybe he's probably we're too small fish for him. He's he's a big yeah. guy, big name. This job is probably going to be beneath him. It might even be insulting to him if we offer it to him. But you know what they did? They drew up the offer letter because they figured, well, YOLO, yep. shoot your shot. Yeah, and they just, they, they sent it to him. And, and you know, the interesting thing about Lee is at this point, he's already been offered to be uh, like a similar role at the University of the South, which is in Suwanee, Tennessee. Suwanee. Mm -hmm. I, of course, I would butcher it, which was founded by uh, Polk, who is now dead, thanks to Howard. Um, mm. he was offered that position, but he didn't take it. And his son said it was because of denominational reasons. So religious reasons. And he had been offered a place at a university in, uh, in Virginia, I think it was. And again, he didn't take it for just, just various reasons. He didn't take it, but the, the Suwannee one was because of the university of the South was because of denominational, cause it was religious reasons, but then he's offered this job as president at uh washington you know washington college whatever and you know he's kind of like uh i don't want it well what's funny was they had to get the offer to him and it's yeah. ironic they, so what they did is they drew up this letter and they and they put the task of convincing lee to take this job fell under the name of a judge named guess what john breckenridge yep. nope not not that jocker not one. that one not that one, a different one. <laughs> not, not this that one was, one. A, was a law professor at the college now you know breckenridge you know he basically he didn't really even have a suit they had to borrow a suit to wear it and he lee at the time had moved he'd moved away from franklin street he was he would have he was in a place called derwent which is about you know not too too far away actually from mathematics right and he said of Derwin, Lee did. He said, I am looking for some a little quiet home in the woods that I can um, procure a shelter in my daily bread. So it means he's want to get the hell out of the park. Yeah, he now. just wants to imagine? relax. He just wants I mean, to chill. 
He's in a fishbowl in Richmond. Now he's going to move out to the sticks. That's what he's going to do. So Breckenridge is going to go out there and he's going to talk him into it. So whatever he said, whatever he did work, because uh, after thinking about it for a few days, on August 31st, 1865, Lee is going to agree to be the new president at Washington College. He's going to write his wife and explain that this job could be uh, like a life redemption for him. He's going to write to Mary, my life is gliding away and I have nothing to show for mine that is past. I pray I may be spared to accomplish something for the benefit of mankind and the honor of God. I consider the proper education of its youth one of the most important objects to be attained. Yeah. So now he's got life's work again. He's got a life's goal again. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he does. And, and like, that's like, he believes in the education of the South because he thinks that is what is going to help save the South because he sees how they're struggling. And he's said to, in letters to numerous friends, to, you know, fellow generals that fought with him that, you know, we, the education is what is going to save us and we have to move forward with the reconciliation and he in like he said the thorough education of all classes of the people is the most efficient means in my opinion of promoting the prosperity of the south so he is wanting to get the south back up to a level with the north because he knows the north in, in his mind, I think the North is like, this is where we need to be. And I've got to be able to educate these men or these, you know, these people to getting to this level. And he cared about that so much. He just cared about reconciliation. No, he, he did. And, you know, Lee's at the helm now in Washington College, predictably, immediately starts to reap the reward of, of yeah. having him as president. Lee insisted, and to Lee's credit, he just didn't want a figurehead job. He needed, he wanted to make a difference. So, you know, he, for the most part, he really did. Lee's goal was to make that college more modern. And he started a law school. He started courses in business and journalism. Mary's favorite class, mathematics, he set up in that class, Yay. as well as natural sciences. That's so my favorite, it's math. What he's done is he's turned the college into a university, is what he's yep. done. Now, not only was Lee the president, he was also the headmaster. I'm also a client. <laughs> he instituted an <laughs> honor system with his students and gave them the tools that they wanted to succeed. He, he said he said of his students that basically you should not force young men to do their duty, but let them do it voluntarily and thereby develop their character. Now, mm -hmm. how many former generals do you know are going to tell people, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're going to do it voluntarily. So it's a full oh, 180. Now, Lee was a macro manager anyway in the battlefield, yep. but for him, this is a whole, this is a complete 180. It, it he, is, yeah. But he, he also preached that, that healing of all dissension left from the bad taste of the war as students from the North and the South both attended. He they all flocked to the school, both North and South. Mm -hmm. um, he was somewhat, in, in, the critics will say about his time at Washington College, that he was very lax on racial attacks in the area, didn't seem mm. to care. I so, would argue well, otherwise because apparently he did. Well, this is, you again, know? this is reputation. There's also yeah. a reputation that he allowed the students to form a KKK chapter on campus, yeah, which is disputed. Good. But again, this is, this is what, this is kind of the mentality that people are saying about yeah. him, right? And who, who knows? I mean, that that's, but by, by October, 1865, the, one thing that's not disputed, the school's enrollment jumped substantially. Mm. It went from 50 
to 150, which is a big, big jump. Yep. Now, one thing that Lee did that was really good, he knew the name of every student. He knew oh, them. Yes, and, that was one thing that I read about him. His son mentions it in the book right. that he makes about, he compiles with his letters that his father does make the effort to know who the students are. And Lee was trying to make Washington College something more of what it was when he inherited it. When he inherited it, there was only four professors there, you know, and he has to build that up. So he's basically building this college that has fallen in hard times because of the Civil War. Yes, it is. It earned its name Washington College because of an endowment that George Washington gave them. But because of the Civil War, it fell in hard times. So when Lee and kind of, I guess you could say, inherited as president, it's he really has to build it back up again. And he's got it with four professors when he starts. But he gets to know the names of all his students. And he's very personable with them. Um, you know, he's he kind of reminds me of uh, the principal I had in high school that knew all her knew all our names. Well, you know, and that's really something school, when like when when you can walk down the hallway and your principal says hi to you and you're in a in a high school of a thousand students like really you know my name okay well my headmaster knew my name and I didn't appreciate that for different reasons well but actually mine pretty, did too for my me it would have been it would have been pretty cool to walk across campus and have Robert E Lee say morning John oh, yeah okay but he he was like that and he also made sure that he personally wrote every letter of correspondence to the students and yep. the parents so in a way now he's kind of a micromanager now he's mm -hmm. that left he's that in the weeds of these individuals um but you wonder if that comes from like this whole the reconciliation the like just wanting to be I want to show I'm there and I'm involved in this. If if that comes from it, I I don't know if it's so much of of, of a micromanager as it is. I want to show I'm involved. I think I think he felt like he wanted to make a difference. I think he yeah wanted that to, he, yeah that that that's it. He wants to make a difference. You know, October third, eighteen sixty five. You know what Lee does? He finally does sign that oath of allegiance uh, to the United States, hoping once again to become a U.S. citizen. Now this whole fiasco with the oath of allegiance that is a great story with lee too because he's going to sign it and he's going to send it to secretary of state william seward and for whatever reason uh, seward's going to see this signed document and he's going to assume it's already been recorded and he takes it and he gives it to a friend as a souvenir hey you want yeah. robert lee's autograph here all yours <laughs> oh and my this, god what, but what this means is that the amnesty was never filed and so the so and then what happens is this amnesty form is going to disappear for the next hundred plus years. Eventually, nowhere was discovered. It was discovered in a bunch of papers mm. inside the desk of the National Archives. It was discovered by Benjamin Gates and and, and, um, and Riley Poole of all people. It was. It was. I mean, that take that's a, don't even look it up. Yay, national treasure. But that's the truth. That was found. In, it was found in a desk of the National Archives. So, ironically, it was August fifth, nineteen seventy five, one nine. Now, Lee's finally going to get his award of citizenship back and formally pardoned by now, well, then President Gerald Ford. Ford's going to say General Lee's character has been an example to future generations, making the restoration of his citizenship an event in which every American can take pride. Mm. Lee was unavailable for comment, but he finally got that during that big mass uh, pardoning that, that Ford did. 
after signing the oath, now going back in time on October 30, 1865, after signing that oath, Lee is going to continue to push this reconciliation and was still sought out by those who were still looking for their advice on the situation. Lee was quoted again as saying in his Lee's notes, if you, if you had a chance to read Lee's notes, they're great reads because the dude can yep. write. He's a beautiful oh, writer. Oh, he's an amazing writer. But, but he's going to write, true patriotism sometimes requires of men to act exactly contrary yes. in one period to that one, uh, what does another, into the motive which impels them to desire to do right precisely at that time. So basically what he's saying is, we thought we were right, but it's time to conform to the new order and yep. become one country again. That, that's kind of what he's saying. I love that quote from him. That That is, you know, he's basically saying, you know, we did what we thought was right at the time, but it wasn't. Yeah. And he's saying now, it's whatever the case, whether you agree, whether you disagree, it's time to move on. Yeah. The game is over. Exactly. Right? And that's how it was. So, and while this is all going on, the country's kind of going through that turmoil of reconstruction. So this is by 1866, Andrew Johnson his construction, his reconstruction plan is a complete disaster. You've Shocker. got race riot, you've got race riots going on, yeah. popping up through the South. Congressional elections are becoming ugly. And, and, it was, and the question of how are we going to deal with the South was popping up again. And this read this led to that really brutal period in history as a country is kind of going through those real hard growing pains now. Yeah. And it was the same issue during the war where Democrats wanted a softer approach to the South. Versus the radical Republicans who wanted a more harder hand. Now, the whole issue was surrounding the 14th Amendment. Now, this is one of those Civil War amendments that granted citizenship to uh, to those born in the United States in that state that they of which they reside. Yeah. This, of course, meant that citizenship for blacks and civil rights protection for them. And this is a 14th Amendment. You, you see it in today's cases. Part of the Roe versus Wade overturning was yep. that was, was based on the 14th Amendment. That, that's where it all kind of came from. The Republicans wanted the 14th Amendment's ratification by states to be mandatory versus President Johnson and the Southern Democrats fought it tooth and nail. They didn't mm -hmm. want it to be mandatory. So the country, again, was becoming that powder keg. And because of it, Lee was forced into that role again of being a peacemaker for those Southern hotheads who were pissed off at Congress for this. They're, they're demanding this 14th Amendment. Um, everything everything was, was kind of going bad. And one person who writes him a letter is old friend and fun lover, Jubal Early, Mary. Oh, yes. Oh, Early. Lee's, yeah. Lee's bad old man. Yeah, he's bad old man. Jubal Early. Jubal Early is going to write to Lee and he's going to tell them, he says, I hate Yankees this day more than any other, which really says something if you think about Jubal Early. Yeah. Now, Lee, as always, is going to, again, urge patience in telling Early and everybody else, cooler heads are going to prevail here. Just, yeah. Just, and, and, you know, as many people in the South took, you know, really took his advice. And it, because it was Lee preaching it, he's the only guy who could probably deliver this message. Yes. Now, instead of, it would have been very easy. For Lee now to sit back in his new job and be grumpy and, and stoke the flames and just and just but he he never did. That's and not it, what he believed. No, he 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 never did privately or publicly. All I could think about is Kevin Bacon saying, you know, all is well. Yes, yeah, like no, that, no, that's it. That and and that's what Lee believed. Um, because there was a similar letter around the same time to Jubal Early 
to Verena Davis saying the same thing. Like the South needs to be patient. But he also says it's tough. It's so tough. And he understands her plight right now with her husband, like being in jail, right? That she, what, what she's going through, but that he's saying, I don't give my own opinion on what is happening. I don't engage in the politics because I feel that is going to hinder us. And we need to be quiet in that. And Mm -hmm. yes, we have a long fight, but if we're quiet, it's going to, we're, we're going to come out positive a lot quicker than if we keep fighting this, if we keep fueling, you know, kind of fanning the flames of what has gone, gone on. Right. And he said so early, the feelings that influenced you to leave the country were natural. So Lee understands what Lee's trying to say to early. I understand what you're feeling, but here here I am. I'm still here. You know, he wanted to keep he wanted to keep everybody back in the state. So what yeah. what happens? New Year, January seventh, eighteen sixty seven. Andrew Johnson is a boot to be handed articles of impeachment now, and over his relationship with Congress is pretty much about as ugly as your singing voice for the most part. It, it wouldn't talk about reunification. If That's I could turn back time. Okay, there you go. Representative a guy named William D. Kelly. A congressman from Pennsylvania who called for Johnson's impeachment, he says, Sir, the bloody fields of the 10 unreconstructed states, the unsheeted ghosts of the 2,000 murdered Negroes in Texas cry for the punishment and impeachment of Andrew Johnson. Not exactly beating words there. Basically, what the the point was, Johnson's going to pull, is going to remove Edward Stanton. Yeah. Okay. And and this violated something called the Tenure of Office Act of mm-hmm. 1867, which basically yeah. says the president can't can't fire anybody who was appointed by Congress without Congress's consent. So this is the final straw. And um he'll get impeached in February of 1868, although he was in, he was you know acquitted by Congress by the Senate in May of 68. But while this is all going on, really, these reconstruction acts are all being passed, which strips state governments of power. And yeah. put the South into those five military districts, right? Pretty much gave Congress a blank check yeah. how to deal with the South, demanded you ratify the 14th Amendment. And this anger in the South is in, in this environment now is so high that Lee is having to deal with this as he's trying to keep his friends in the South from losing his mind. And this had to have been a very low moment for Lee because oh, he's time. seeing he's seeing everything falling apart again. And yeah. and and so for the most part. Lee, Lee talked about around this time in his letters about how sad it got. And, and he and he wrote down, he goes, at this time, how I was thinking of the soldiers that died in vain when I knew it was too late and they had to find out for themselves. That's that's what he was saying. And so during all this, Lee is actually going to get summonsed to go visit, to go to court to, to testify against Jefferson Davis, who's going mm. on trial for guess what? For treason. Yeah. The government actually offered Lee immunity and also told him, if you don't do it, we're going to try you for treason. So there you go. But, you know, Lee's going to testify, but he's, you know what he's going to do? He's, he's going to do what Lee does. He's going to take responsibility. Yeah. In, in a situation where he could have easily said, I was just following orders and, and doing it that way, he didn't. He said that all of his decisions were his, and you know, fortunately for you know, it it 
he put himself out there. He really did. Mm -hmm. But he got saved by the bell, though, because what happened on Christmas 1868? That's when they changed it. They they opened it up to everybody, basically. Right. President Johnson is going to send out a general amnesty now for everybody, all Confederates, which means if you hadn't been pardoned, including Lee, yeah. uh, then you're not going to have to worry about being tried for treason. So he still wasn't reinstated as a citizen because that amnesty for we talked about was missing. But, but still, he wasn't going to be tried anymore. And that must have been a huge relief to him because now we can kind of focus again on that job at Washington yeah. College. So things were kind of cooling off a little bit with nationally. And he, he was also, you know, he was also the, um, not only the president, like we said, he did everything. As headmaster, he was also in charge of doling out punishments. Yeah. And, and there's a story that Matt Atkinson tells at Gettysburg, which, which is, he, he likes to tell the story. And it's a good one because it's an incident that took place that really explained Lee's personality at this time and really explained Lee's sense of humor. Mm-hmm. So around this time in Washington College, you know, he had to deal with an incident that looked like potentially it could be an attempted murder case against a modern a language professor named Edwin Southey Joins. That's the guy's name. And Joins was a friend of Lee's during the war and when he acted as a clerk for the Secretary of War. Now, now Joins is a professor at Washington College. And one day there's an explosion in Joins's home after he put a piece of firewood in his stove. It exploded because the log was stuffed with gunpowder and it caused a big thing. Oh. Now, uh, you can imagine how this must have been because someone's trying to kill a professor. So Lee is going to bring everybody together and he's going to basically say, you know, the usual, if anybody knows what happened, please come see me, let me know, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Now, Joins wasn't injured in the explosion at all. I mean, it's probably a miracle that he wasn't. Later that day, two students are going to show up at Lee's office. And you can only imagine the, you know, the peeing on the pants these students had. <laughs> so he's going to sit there. Now, God. these two students admitted to Lee that they were the ones who did it, but it was a joke that went bad. It just went wrong. Now, yeah. here's what happened. Back then, students had to get their own firewood. In the, and it sounds, in, by, all, by all accounts, the, the wood pile was far away. And the kids yeah. have to walk across this. It's cold. You got to walk all the way over there. The professors had the wood gathered for them by the local custodian. And this custodian one day started, instead of walking to the wood pile, he started stealing the wood from the students. I'm not going to walk all the way out there. I'm just going to oh grab my this God. <laughs> Well, These two kids noticed someone was stealing all their firewood. And they decided they were going to find out who did it. So they took a piece of firewood and screwed the end out of it, put gunpowder in, and put the wood back together and put it on the wood pile. And then they waited. And oh what happened God. was, it turns out the thief was that custodian. The custodian took the wood and left the pile of that wood in Joins's pile of wood. Joins goes to get his log, puts in his fire, boom, blows up. And, and what happens is they, he, they, the kids fessed up to Lee, probably fully expecting they're going to get kicked out of school. So they sit and tell Lee the whole story, and Lee just kind of stares at him. And he puts his hand on his chin. And he tells the kids, he goes, boys, your plan was a good one. Next time I would suggest you use less powder. And then he, started, <laughs> then he burst into laughter. Oh, my God. Laughing. Yeah, because you were saying Lee generally loved to laugh. 
he had a good sense of humor. You don't yeah. see I mean, you see the pictures, he looks dour and sorry along yeah. his mind. But he, well, he had a good sense of humor. Well, that's the typical Victorian thing, right? Like they all look like they have no sense of humor, right? But you were saying Lee loved to laugh, which I, I mean, when I learned that, I was like, wow, that's just, you know, he's, when you know someone loves to laugh, they're so much more human. Oh, yeah. But these kids must have felt like the weight of the world. I mean, they, they, can you imagine sitting outside of Robert E. Lee's office and you're going to tell him you're trying to blow up a teacher? But he just laughed and then just gave advice on. And the funny part about next time, use next powder, lose your less yeah. powder, which, which, yeah. is, which is a great answer. Yeah. So, um, so they, they weren't expelled. Like everything was okay. Nobody got hurt. Yeah. But by now, Lee's going to need a vacation. It's 1868. And yeah. he decides he's he's going to go to a place called Rock Ridge Bath Resort, Pipestem, West Virginia, where he's actually going to go to a sauna. Wherever he went, um, he had to deal with pissed off Southerners looking for advice that we keep talking about. And Lee would speak openly about reconciliation with the North, both publicly and privately. But while he's at this resort, um, this um, this is around the time when U.S. Grant's running for president. And yeah. so this is all going on. And Grant was obviously that pissed the South off tremendously, yeah. you know? Yeah. So um, what happens is someone in, in Robert E. Lee's earshot, earshot is how it is? Earshot. Earshot. Yep. It starts bashing U.S. Grant and Lee loses it. Now, this is actually, no, this is actually takes place back at the school. This I, I was all right. It was not at the resort. This is back. This is when he came back after his vacation. He's back at the school and he hears someone bashing Lee. I mean, bashing Grant. Lee reportedly tells the person, sir, if you ever again to presume to speak disrespectful of General Grant in my presence, either you or I will sever our connection with this university. So he's saying, wow. if you say it again, one of You're, us is We're I done. Here. We're not we're done. doing this. Because he's going to remember those terms he got, not yep. only the terms of Appomattox, but the fact that he helped squelch that, the, the indictment he got. Yeah. Now, Grant, of course, is going to win the White House in, in, in the 1868 election, and soon after his inauguration, Lee's going to find himself, again, uh, looking for money. He's going to try to gain financial support because what does he want? He wants a railroad that's going to get connect to Lexington, yeah. Virginia. And so what does he do? He's going to go to Baltimore. May 1st, 1869, Lee is going to call on the now President Grant at the White House to discuss plans for this railroad line. Now, these former – these combatants, you know, they, they didn't meet privately. I mean, mm -hmm. people think this was like a long private meeting. It lasted maybe 10 minutes. Lee had two friends of his from Baltimore, Mrs. and Mrs. Taggart. And Grant would happen to be with a guy named John Lothrop Moxley, who was the minister to England. Yeah. And it was a very public meeting. It took place on the 1st of May, which was the sixth anniversary of the Battle of Chancellorsville. Also the eighth anniversary of the funerals of those Boston guys who got killed in the Baltimore riots. So May 1st was a tough day. There was, a, there was an yeah. irony of this, right? Yeah. And so Lee was, was all business and, and, and made no reference to the war at all. And Grant was kind of nervously joking with him a little bit. And they're sitting down there talking about this railroad. And you know what? You know what, what Grant said to Lee? Well, we ripped up all these railroads. <laughs> he says, you and I have more experience destroying railroads than building yeah. them. And you know what Lee did? Lee he was didn't even silent. It. He just didn't look up, didn't acknowledge. You probably hit the microphone. Lee Grant probably like, this thing on? You know, he probably is like, you know. Uh -huh. So Grant then 
doubles down on it. He tries to bring up the political situation in Virginia regarding Reconstruction. This time, Lee did say something. Lee got pissed, and he snapped back at Grant, and he says, I would much prefer that you should not take my opinion representing those of Virginia and the South. And at that point, Lee got up, excused himself, and he walked out the door, and that was it. And this is the last time we're going to see each other. Yeah, I honestly think, like, Lee was not a huge fan of General Grant, just well, just he, just, just from was. that I mean, but i but that too like lee's last meeting with grant reminds me a lot of sherman's last meeting with grant where sherman was like very well mr president and i, I think, think that and i think that speaks more of grant than it does of sherman or lee i personally i think it was just a sad meeting for both of them i think i think oh, that each of their press it, it, it definitely memories. was yeah, it definitely I, I think, was. I think for the most part, uh, I think it was they they just looked at each other and all they yeah. could think about was Cold Harbor and all they could yep. think about was Spotsylvania. I, I, I think yep. that's all they could think about. Um, and, and, I'm, and I'm sure I'm sure it was a sad reminder. I'm sure it had to have been. Oh, that absolutely. Would be, that would be the last time they would ever see each other, and which is kind of a bummer. Now, yep. while this, and the reason why is Lee's health is starting to fail at this point. Yeah, and his son mentions do- that in his um in the book he's writing. Like he he definitely mentions that that he mentions uh his father's health um as a reason why Lee never writes a memoir just because of the 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 strength and the energy it takes to write a memoir. He Oh, it definitely does. His I mean- son mentions that that that's why Lee never did it. I mean, Lee Lee's health was a tear. It was falling apart back yeah. then. I mean, people think that you know, he had, you know, he had a stroke in the middle of the war. You know, he had heart issues. Yep. Um, and there was, a, there was a lot of things that were going on with him. But by 1869, there was no doubt that his health was clearly failing. Yeah. And he was having a tough time breathing. Mm-hmm. So what, what happens is he's going to think about retiring from his job at Washington College. But he decides he's going to take a trip. He's going to go south to Savannah. Here we go with Savannah. Ooh. So he's going to go to Savannah thinking – warm weather clean air you know there's a lot of things going on it make him feel better and but you can only imagine the absolute circus he was putting himself into by putting his butt on a train and heading deep in the south again and and because bobby lee going in the south is 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 that i mean that's that's the the beatles Mm -hmm. coming to you know coming to shea stadium right oh yeah he's he's a hero and and he was you know People were definitely going to want to see him on this vacation. And despite, despite all this stuff, the doctors felt, you know, warm weather is going to be a good idea. It'll do good for your health. Why don't you just jump on the Acela and head down to Savannah? Go have yep. a good time, take a couple of months, and just chill. And this will be the last trip Lee would ever make. Not, not to spoil it, but that this is going to be it for him. Yeah. And predictably, thousands upon thousands are going to come out to see him on this journey um i wouldn't be surprised this trip did more damage than good to be honest because he was around people the whole time well i would agree with that like if you're around like i mean he seems like the type of person that just wanted to keep to himself and it's like you're about to do what is going to be your last kind of world tour and you're surrounded by so many people well, it becomes it becomes the Robert E. Lee farewell tour is really what it does. Yeah, now, exactly. The, the, the trip's going to begin in Richmond, and he's going to get there, and he's uh, he's going to leave by train. He's going to get to Richmond from from Lexington the day before he leaves. Yeah. And while he's in town the night before the trip, 
he's going to run into the old gray ghost himself, John Mosby. Mosby, yes. Who's going to, oh. who's going to, he's going to say of Lee's appearance, he was pale and haggard. Now, yeah. Lee is going to invite Mosby into his room, where according to Mosby's memoirs, but a lot of Mosby's members on this one too, um, not a word of the war was spoken. They didn't say one word. Who knows the hell they oh. talk about, this, but not about the war. So Mosby is going to excuse himself and say, have a nice day, and, and you're good to see you again. He's going to leave the hotel. Just by happenstance, who does he bump into walking Pickett. out of the hotel? George Pickett. Pickett. Oh, Pickett. Yeah, this is yeah. And, and for, what, for whatever reason, Mosby's thinking, well, maybe Lee wants to see his old subordinate again. Uh, to say there was animosity between the two was an understatement. Pickett was still carrying the, the grudge over the Battle of Gettysburg, and Lee was still pissed off at Pickett for getting his pants caught down on April 1st at Five Forks, which ultimately led to the Army losing the South Side Railroad and having to retire yep. from, Appa, from the Appomattox, yep. right? So maybe, maybe Mosby's thinking, you know, Lee's in They'll reconciliation. They'll be you know, okay. It's good. But it, it didn't go that well. Now, no. according to Mosby again, when Pickett entered the room, Lee just merely stood up and glared at him with that icy, icy glare, colder than a DQ blizzard on a hot day. That's how that's how cold he stared at him. You know what that's like, right? Oh, yeah. No doubt. Lee wanted nothing to do with Pickett. Nothing. And soon later, Mosby and Pickett are going to leave. And they're walking out. And now Pickett is just pissed. He just he's pissed off. And he looks at Mosby and he says, what? He says, that old man got my division slaughtered at Gettysburg. And to which Mosby is going to famously say, ah, but George, he made you famous. <laughs> one, one of the better lines of the Civil War. Oh, my God. <laughs> and He's not wrong. No, he isn't. But the next day, Lee's going to leave and he's going to go on the train. He's going to make his way towards Savannah. And Ooh. they're going to stop at, they're going to stop at War, a town called Warrington, North Carolina. And the town is significant to Lee is because that's where the grave of his fourth child and second yeah. daughter, Ann Carter Lee, was buried. She had died of 1862 in October of typhoid. And her grave is eventually going to get moved to Lee Chapel. And I think it was 1994 they moved yeah. her or something like that. But Lee wanted to visit her grave. And he talked about in, in his letters that one of the lower points in Lee's life, when, when, Ann, when uh, Ann Carter died, he wrote of it to his wife. To know I shall never see her again on earth is agonizing in the extreme. Yeah. That's what he wrote. So, okay. Oh. So the train's going to continue. They're going to get to Raleigh. And every time they pull into a station, there's people waiting for them. Now, Raleigh, they're going to get there about midnight. It's going to be late. Might even be later than that. Yeah. And Lee is sleeping. He's out like a light. And he's awoken by what? Chance of Lee, Lee, Lee. Just like the scene in Gettysburg, that movie. That yep. scene yep. was pretty much him. He's going to wake up to that. People chanting his name, hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, but it was they, they came out late to see the train. But Lee, of course, isn't going to get up. He's not going to do it. So um, they're going to keep on moving. They're going to keep going. But he's not He's not going to come out. He's going to yep. stay on the train. He just is, does. This is not what he is. He does not want to be the subject of anything. And Finally, you know, the train's going to make it to Columbia, South Carolina. So we're O.O. Howard and, and Sherman got themselves in trouble there, right? Yep. And yeah. they knew he was coming, and the city de declared the day a, a, a citywide holiday. All the businesses were closed. There was a yep. parade. Um, but it was pouring rain. It was a shitty day. 
But Lee did finally acknowledge the situation, and he does um, he does come out. E.P. Alexander is there to meet him, Mary, of Ooh. all people. He's going to be there and beat him in, in With Columbia. his balls? With his ball, balls bouncing all over the place. No question. Like, like on the fields of Gettysburg. <laughs> and Lee's going to finally, he's going to, you know, he's going to get out. He's going to wave his hat, but he's not going to give it. He's not going to yeah. say anything. He's just going to wave. And they are going to finally get to Savannah the next day, the longest train trip ever, apparently. And when he got to his hotel, predictably, it was mobbed with people. And everyone looked to, was looking to meet him. Um, one, uh, whole, it was Confederate veterans everywhere looking to shake his hands and wish him well. And, and there was also a 13-year-old boy who talked about the day he met Robert E. Lee. And that yep. kid's name was Woodrow Wilson, Mary. Oh, he met my him God. Savannah. Yes, so, <laughs> this story. Um, that's a cool story, too. And while in Savannah, you know, Lee's going to write to his wife, Mary, and he's going to write, the old soldiers greeted me very cordially, and I don't, but I don't think traveling this way provides you with much peace and quiet. I mean, you can just imagine. I mean, this, oh, yeah. just, everything that you imagine about this trip is how this thing went. And while he was there, he met Joseph E. Johnston. While he was down there, they agreed to yep. take a photo shoot for charity or some sort of fundraiser so that they made money for somebody. And while in Savannah, Lee tried to do his best to see the sights as a tourist. It didn't exist then, Mary, but yep. if it did, he probably would have grabbed a bar at the Abe's on Lincoln. <laughs> it's a Savannah bar with a had a has a big glittering face of Abraham Lincoln on the wall. I'm sure he God. would probably definitely hit that. Um, but while he was in Savannah, he uh, went nearby to go visit the grave of his father, and of course Harry Lighthorse Lee. Yeah. Um, Right there as well, who also was moved to Lee Chapel, I think in 1913, right around, yep. right around there. Yeah. And but by now the vacation is it's it's about over. And so he's gonna he, what he's gonna do is he's gonna head back to Norfolk, Virginia on a boat and he's gonna finally make his way to Lexington. One cool story about this, Norfolk, is while he's there, he stops in a church. Can you imagine you're in church and here comes Robert Lee sitting down in church? I would be, I'm like, what the hell? Well, there was a there was a story about that where a woman later said of seeing Lee in church. Now, this, this is a very pious person. She said while seeing Lee in church, "We have heard of God, but here was General Lee." So that's that's a kind of an interesting story. That's all of it right there. Yep. <laughs> May of eighteen seventy, Lee is going to return from his two month vacation from the trip south. He'll be back in Washington College, and by August, he's back in his office again. Now, September twenty eighth, eighteen seventy. Lee is going to attend a meeting, and the, the meeting is going to be in the, uh, at the campus, at the campus church, to talk about a pay raise for the pastor. Yep. The pastor's name was William Pendleton, who was the same William Pendleton who commanded Lee's artillery. Yep. Same guy. Now, he's the pastor. He's also the poster boy of the lost cause, by the way. Pendleton, I don't know if you know oh, that. Oh, he is, uh, yeah. along with John Brown Gordon. Yeah, he certainly is. But, yep. but they, they want to give Pendleton a raise. Now, it's one of those... It's late in, in September. It's rainy. It's cold. It's raw. And it sounds like, by all accounts, the meeting was supposed to start around 4 o'clock. It was supposed to be a quick meeting, but it ran long. Yeah. And they're sitting, and they're, in, they're sitting, and, you know, Lee's not feeling well anyway. They're sitting in this room, in this cold, damp room. It's wet, and it's going on and on and on. And finally, you know, the pay raise is agreed upon. Um, Lee's going to look at his watch, and he's going to see that it's past 7 now. And he knows that his wife is going to be pissed off because he's late for dinner. And predictably, Lee's going to walk into the house and Mary's going to say, why are you so late? Mary, <laughs> Mary, with, Mary with the nagging, right? But, but she did. She, okay. she said, where the hell have you, where the hell you been? 
Lee is going to try to respond. He's going to open his mouth to answer what he's been. He opens his mouth and he can't talk. No words wow. come out. That's right. And he gets a look of fear in his face. He's white as a sheet. He can't talk. So the, they call the doctors. The doctors immediately come over. They're, they're there within about 10 minutes to look at him. They, they put him to bed. The ironic thing about this earlier, and this is a cool story too. Earlier that day, Lee wasn't a very big spiritual guy. No, he, he was um, not. He wasn't. But a le- uh, there was a spiritualist who wrote him a letter. Now, this is this is again. You're talking about people, um, you know, who talk to ghosts. Yeah. And that's you know that's what they do. Yeah. She writes a letter, and for whatever reason, she's going to ask his opinion of the the Franco-Prussian War that's been going mm. on. And so Lee, again, his sense of humor, he's going to respond to her, and he's going to write to the spiritualist. That is a question that military critics would differ. And, but you were free to contact Julius Caesar, Alexander the Great, Napoleon, Wellington, and all the history's greats captains. Wow. But I am hesitant to voice my opinion in such august company. So he's basically telling her to go stick it with the ghost thing, which, yeah. is, a, which is a great, which is a great yeah. story. Now, later that day, he goes to the meeting and all that stuff. But he's going to sleep. He's going to wake the next day off and on. He's going to start to recover slowly but surely. He's yeah. going to begin to regain some of his speech. Contrary to popular opinion, he didn't never talk again. No, he he he, he, re- he did. Speech, he did talk right? again. Yeah. So he did so talk on October, again. October tenth, he he did tell Mary, his wife, he was starting to feel better. And on the tenth, his his doctor had come in to check on him, and said he told Lee, "Your recovery is necessary for travelers' sake. The old horse is missing his exercise, and all the things yeah. he was he was saying to him." Well, the next day on October 11th, Lee is going to sleep most of the day. He's going to try to get out of bed a few times to summon the energy, but he just can't do it. He's just too tired. He's in and out of sleep. And while he slept, he started to lose it a little bit. He yeah. started to, And he started to talk in his sleep. Mm-hmm. He was summoning dead subordinates, specifically A.P. Hill. He was yes. calling him, right? Yeah. And right before he fell asleep, He's going to, out of the phrase, strike the tent. Mm. And Mary is, is holding his hand by the bedside. And she said she felt him squeeze her hand when he said that. Yeah. And these are going to be his last words. The next morning on October 12th at 9 o'clock in the morning, Mary's going to hear General Lee let a loud sigh, and he's going to be gone. Yep. Just like that. Yep. Robert Lee was dead. Almost immediately, even before the funeral, the trustees of the school are going to rename the school Washington and Lee College. Yep. Just immediately, just done. Um, public mourning, as you can imagine, began in the word spread through all over the place. Lee was saluted by newspapers, both North and South. The New York Times celebrated Lee's post-war years by noting his unobtrusive modesty. Some, though, took the advantage to dance on his grave and call him a traitor. I mean, there, there was, there was, there was, there was, all, all things, but for the most yeah. part, he was he was feted as as you know as um as a great warrior. Now, Lee's funeral is as big as you can imagine. It was scheduled to be held on Saturday, October fifteenth, eighteen seventy. He is going to be buried in the basement of Lee Chapel on the campus of Washington and Lee College now, now Washington University, in a wall surrounded by a con- by concrete per Mary Cassis Lee. Yeah, there's one problem with this. They needed a coffin. And guess what? They didn't get one. They, they don't have didn't. one. Oh. So, so there's a story with that one. So, um, cast, so caskets at this time 
they were somewhere held in a lumber house on a place called the Maury River that were on consignment from a coffin maker, a company called C.M. Coons and Brothers. They had three coffins that were being held in consignment at this lumber house. So that they're going to go get them. All that rain we were talking about, guess what happened? The lumber house them. washed away and the oh, coffins were floating up the river. They all went, okay? You really can't make this stuff up. So when they went to check on the coffins, they were gone. They floated away. Now, a search party was formed to try and find one for Lee, hoping one got stuck in a brush somewhere. And so they're walking up and down <laughs> the river. Well, lo and behold, guess what happens? One metallic casket got caught on a brush pile just below a dam uh, that flowed from East Lexington. It was lodged in the fork of a tree. So the two men found it, a guy named W.P. Hardigan and a guy named J.L. Root. They pulled the coffin out of the river and brought it to Lexington and put Robert E. Lee in it. Wow. So that's how it got his coffin. A day before he was put in, it was floating up the river. <laughs> and wow. um, the next, <laughs> that's crazy. So, so the next day is the funeral, October 15th, the day of the funeral. Yeah. It's going to begin at 10 o'clock in the morning. It's going to start at the Episcopal Church in front of the late president's house. And there's going to be a big long procession that's going to be that's going to include VMI cadets, uh, traveler, uh, obviously uh, Confederate vets, and the VMI band is going to be playing and be playing all those Confederate battle tunes. Yep. And, and it's finally going to end at the chapel, where the service is going, be, is going to be conducted by Pastor William Pendleton, same guy we talked about, um, fresh with his new rays, by the way, so he's probably motivated. Yep. And finally, Lee's body is going to be interred in that crypt. He's going to be led by a pallbearer named Captain John C. Bood, who happened to be a member of the former Stonewall Brigade. So he's wow. the one who was one of the pallbearers. So he had Stonewall Jackson in some way present yep. there. Now, obviously, you know, Lee's story doesn't end there um, because of his legacy does continue this very yep. day. And by those who staunchly support him and those who staunchly don't support him. Now, a lot of stuff happened not long after his death. Now, while after his death, there was a movement, believe it or not, Mary, to remove those 16 dead Union bodies out of yep, Arlington. There was. And, and to return the house of the Lee family, which obviously failed because it's still there. Now, the Lee family did actually get reparations for the house, though. It actually went all the way to the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. But finally, the Lee family was awarded $150,000. There were relics owned by the Custis family that were held from Mount Vernon that the Union soldiers stole, and it, they wow. were returned. And so these have been sitting in the archives. And finally, yeah. William McKinley, of all people, Antietam, mm -hmm. you know, Freemason, yeah. um, and Union soldier, uh, helped get them back to the Lee family. And, and really, by the 1920s, a lot of the negative attitude that the North had towards Lee, especially in Congress, started to soften a little yeah. bit. And we talked before about this, that 1932, they rebuilt the bridge yep. that goes from Arlington, Virginia, and ends at the Lincoln Memorial. You've probably you've yep. been across it a million times. Yep. There was original plan was to have Lee on the Virginia side on a, on a statue and Grant on the other side. On the that Union is, staring <laughs> that job, is crazy. In hindsight, would have been cool, but needless to say, never happened. Yep. Um, and I think the real reason why that softness happened again was when people think of the Lee post years, they think of the reconciliation. They do. Yeah. They think of the things he did at Washington College. They think of yep. all the things he did mm -hmm. to try to to tie the wounds yep. uh, together and bring the country back together again. 
Um, and really, for the most part, um, he Lee did everything possible to avoid the spotlight that could put him in a bad situation. Lee was invited. He was asked if he'd ever go to a reunion at Gettysburg, and he declined to see. No, he says he wouldn't. And he had that famous quote that people talk about all the time. This is, I think, a wiser moreover, not to keep open the sores of war, but to follow the examples of those nations who endeavored to obliterate the marks of civil strife to commit to oblivion the feelings engendered. So what he's, what is he saying? He's saying, we got to move on. He says, yep. the, the monuments, the flag, all that stuff is going to bring back bad feelings. It's exactly. just not the time. It's not the time. Exactly. And that's what, that that's what he believed. And he said, you know, he, he believed in education for the South. Um, and he said, you know, so much does its future condition depend upon the rising generation that I consider the proper education of the youth. One of the most important objects have to be obtained. You know, this, this education. And two, he, he does write to Thomas Rosser about the monument thing. Um, and he says that, you know, right now when he's writing to Rosser in 1866, it's not the right time. We can't be erecting monuments because it's not the right time. And we not have to wait. We have to wait. And he said, we have to wait until it is the right time to tell he the story. He probably erect. said it's never a good never a good time for a shad bake either. That's probably what he told him Yeah, to. that's probably what he did too. No. But he says that too. You know, it's not the right time. Um, no, and, and Lee, Lee clearly wanted the nation to move on. He never he really did. showed. He never really showed regret for his actions for the most part. No, um, not directly in the Civil War. He compared his plight to that of George Washington. Um, but it's interesting though, um, because there, if you read his notes, there are certain little tidbits in there that make you think a little bit. You know, there was an interesting quote in 1864 of all the years, right in the middle of the war, when Winfield Scott uh, his memoirs were published. You know, the original yep. you know, Winfield Scott. Scott had once told Lee, upon resigning his commission uh, to fight for Virginia, that, would, that you have made the greatest mistake of your life, they said, right? Well, in Lee in 1864, in his letters, um, he said while he was reading Scott's memoirs in 1864, and he came across that quote, he wrote, of Scott, he appears the bold, uh, sagacious, truthful man he is. So did he regret? Who knows? But he he does hint at it certain things. We'll never know. It's all interpretation. Yeah. But I think but I think at the end of the day, what Robert E. Lee is, he's not somebody who you can label one way or the other. There are people yeah. who who think he's the greatest thing in the world. There are people who think he's a demon. Like most people, the truth lies in between. You can say what you will about Robert E. Lee, but what you can say about him, he's a guy who felt whatever duty he was going to do, he was going to do. He, yep. you know, took care of his men, and when the when the day came that it was time to, you know, when it was time to fold up the tents and call it a day, he did. He saved thousands of lives. It doesn't excuse a lot of people, you know, who who have take issue with the fact that he did resign his commission during wartime after Sumter, mm -hmm. and that's people that a lot of have a real tough time getting their hands around. But at the end of the day, you can't just take a single thing like that and throw everything away that he did, Mexican War, 
things at yeah. West Point, the reconciliation afterwards, all the good things he did for Washington Elite College and eventually university. So you you have to look at the big picture. And he's someone who remains divisive to this time. Um, I know a lot of his stuff at West Point is being removed as we speak. His statue that they're, they're, they're taking the Confederate stuff out of West Point. Yeah. But again, you have to look at the whole thing. He He's not a knee-jerk reaction good, bad, or indifferent like anybody else. He's a flawed guy who felt that he was going to do what he felt was best at the time. Um, but when he, when it was time to move on, it was time to move on and get, you know, get with me where we're going to put the country back together again, and we're going to make the best of it. And that's what he did. And you, what you said at the very beginning is probably true. He probably died too young yep, because if he lived a couple more years, um, it, he probably would have helped out a little more for reconciliation. He didn't yep. really have a role, um, but he was someone who people came to him for advice. And it's how many people you know did that maybe change their opinion because a lot of people signed that oath of allegiance because he said to. Yeah. And he's somebody who um was certainly you know a, a the poster boy for the for the South, and he still is in a lot of ways. Yep, and that's um and yeah, your thoughts hundred percent agree with you. You know, um really appreciate them. I think you know yeah if you know if lee had survived longer than what he did five years past the civil war how different things would have been for reconciliation um you know just his influence um in what he was telling people he was writing like jubal early you know rena davis it, long i mean longstreet was already in the re reconciliation side but still who knows who else he was writing in that um to kind of influence them um i mean what i learned from all this is that lee was you know he just wanted to reunite the country he avoided politics um and he just wanted to bring the country back together after it nearly being ripped apart and it was and good for him for that i respect him for that 100 yeah. percent well, it's it's a it's an ongoing story, and I, the story of Robert E. Lee's will, will be told for generations more, and they'll, they'll, the history will never be completely told. Yeah. He's 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 kept alive by his memory and a lot of people, yeah. uh, no matter what you think of him. So, what's coming up for us next, Mary? So we have our book club meeting. We got to strike the tent on this episode. Yeah, we do. Um, <laughs> so this episode, I mean, if you're listening to it, it's already dropped. But we are going to be having our uh, final book club episode on December the 28th, Wednesday at 7 p.m. via Zoom Eastern Time with Eric Scheinlein to talk about his book, The Dim White Light. Um, and then after that, that's it. That's why we're going to be having more stuff, but we will post about it and y'all hear about it. Yeah, we got more stuff to talk about. So watch this spot on some future episodes. So any final words from you, Fincheru? Well, thank you for everyone for like being awesome supporters of our podcast. And thank you to you, Darren, because you're amazing. Well, we appreciate it. And you are as well. So everybody who's listening, have a fantastic Christmas uh, holiday season, whatever you celebrate. Just go ahead and celebrate something. Have fun with your family. Stay safe. A lot of bad weather is going to be rolling through here this weekend, pretty much across the entire country. So definitely stay fine. Stay inside. Get some eggnog. Throw a little bit of whiskey mm -hmm. in there, a little cinnamon and enjoy the week so off we go mary we will talk to you soon everybody thanks for listening again we appreciate it and we look forward to talking to you all on the other side see you later we'll talk to you soon so see you later